brought to you by CGTN Europe. Welcome to the Agenda podcast. I'm Stephen Cole. Now we take a look at electoral systems. Can how we vote be as important as who we vote for? One way in which an increasing number of people are ensuring their vote really does count, whatever the electoral system, is vote swapping. That's when a voter in one constituency agrees to vote tactically for a candidate or party who wouldn't have been their first choice, but does have a greater chance of winning in that area. In exchange, a voter in another constituency will vote for the candidate or party the first voter supports, where they actually have a real chance of getting elected. Well, here to explain in more detail how that works and why people do it is the co-founder of a group called Swap My Vote, Tom de Grunwald. Uh, Tom, uh, explain how this works in practice. Sure. Um, A voter will go to our website, swapmyvote.uk, and put in the party that they'd really like to vote for. Then they will also say which party they're willing to vote for. And for most people, this will be the tactical recommendation in their constituency. This will be the the party that has a a chance, as you say, of winning the seat. Uh, Once they do that, they click Swap My Vote, and then they log in with um, Facebook or Twitter. Um, And that means that there's an identity that can be uh, browsed by prospective swapping partners. After that, they're presented with a number of, uh, with five actually, um, possible partners who have the complementary voting preferences in another constituency. And they can, if one of them seems like a good place for their vote to be cast, then they can offer a swap. The other person will then see an email saying, uh, Stephen would like to, Tom, Stephen would like to swap votes with you, and can either confirm or look for another swap. Once they've both confirmed, um, they are introduced to each other on social media so that they can maybe have a little chat, check that they're each other actually care about the sorts of things that each other care about and that they want to work for the same kind of greater good. Is all of this, Tom, legal? Yes, it is. <laughs> you've, you've had it tested, have you? You've yeah, well, actually, it's really interesting because um, vote swapping's you know, got quite a, a venerable tradition. And, of course, they actually swap votes within Parliament itself. And they um, do it in other countries and, as well. And, and in other countries. So and anywhere where first past the post is the electoral system, uh, you will see some vote swapping. So in the, in the US, there was a, a test case where they found that um, vote swapping was protected speech under the First Amendment. Um, so that's that's the main thing. As long as there's no coercion involved, as long as it's just um, a free expression of someone's political views and working together, then it's completely legal. And Brexit must have made a big difference uh, and added a lot more people clicking onto your site. Well, it's interesting, Brexit. It's certainly a new, um, I would say it's a, dynamic. New, a new dynamic, a new axis within, um, within politics. I think that there's, I mean, it's actually, it's actually quite interesting. So in the 2017 um, election, something like six and a half million people voted tactically. Um, and that is seen as having delivered a hung parliament. So it'll be interesting to see if we see something like that again in 2019. Is your site, is the aim to get the Conservatives out of power? No, absolutely not. So it's I mean, a, politically it, driven. It's a non-partisan uh, platform. So we we support vote swapping between uh, voters of who support any of the main parties who who 
we have a criteria for um, they need to be standing in a certain number of seats or whatever. Um, but so, so it's nonpartisan. But you will find, I mean, it, the, you know, the truth is that it's mainly used probably between progressive, liberal and pro-Remain people because just by the nature of the political spectrum, that side of of the argument is split between different parties, whereas... So there is a political tinge? I, I, I would say that any, 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 anywhere you've got voters trying to express themselves, there will be, uh, there will be politics involved. I mean, the important thing is balance, isn't it? Balance in, in everything, every party, especially vote swapping. Uh, I don't know. I think, as I say, I think it's all about um, it's all about helping voters actually express their what they want to. But happen. they can do that with a simple X on the ballot paper. Well, you, you would think so, but um, I don't know. I don't know where where you live, but in, I've lived in a lot of constituencies where it didn't make any difference who who I voted for. So you know that is a problem with first past the post about wasted votes. And wasted does it votes. only work? Does it only work in first past the post? Um, that yeah, pretty much it. it once, once we have proportional representation, there won't really be a need for vote swapping. So, and we would much rather that. We'd rather retire the website and let there be proportional representation. Electoral systems inform the democracies they underpin. So it's important to ask, is there really such a thing as the perfect electoral system? Well, I spoke to Professor Albert Wheel, Professor of Political Theory and Public Policy at University College London and the author of the book, The Will of the People. Is there any such thing as a truly democratic electoral system, voting system? Well, that, that's, a, that's a bit like asking what's the best tool in the toolbox. So a hammer is very good for banging in nails screwdriver you need for, for, for putting in screws. And democracies come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And what you think important in democracy in part informs your view about what the electoral system should be. So, for example, if you think that having single-party accountable government is a central part of democracy, then you're inclined towards our present system that we use in the UK of first-past-the-post. If you think a broad representation of public opinion in Parliament is very important, then you're more inclined towards proportional representation systems. That's just one, one aspect of a complex problem. First, past the post, though, will inevitably mean millions of votes are ignored. Does that mean it can ever truly work democratically? Well, it can work under certain circumstances. So in a situation, for example, that characterised the UK in the 1950s, when, what, over 95% of voters voted either Labour or Conservative, then you can say that the sort of two-party competition with the marginal voters determining whether we had a Labour government or a Conservative government could work pretty well. Uh, life becomes much more difficult when you've got a situation of three, maybe four parties. And then I think you really do have some difficulties with first-past-the-post. But proportional representation... Uh, that can have its drawbacks too, can't it? It can indeed. Uh, I think it's important to remember that proportional representation comes in all sorts and shapes and sizes. Which is one of its criticisms. Which is one of its criticisms. But then this is, this is a case that, I mean, anybody who studied voting systems will tell you, this is a case where details matter. So, for example, it depends upon whether you have a threshold or not. Uh, so some systems like Germany have a 5% threshold. They have proportional representation. 
but your party cannot be represented in the parliament unless it gets 5% of the votes. Other systems like the Netherlands don't have such a threshold and therefore you typically get many more parties represented in the parliament. So, so these details matter enormously. And extremist parties, they, they tend to do rather well under PR, don't they? Well, that's one of the reasons for having a threshold. One of the reasons for having a threshold is it puts a hurdle up against potentially uh, extremist parties. It's also worth bearing in mind that under first-past-the-post, if a party cannot get an overall majority in the House of Commons, say, then it may well find itself dependent upon a particular party to give it confidence and supply, which some people might regard as being extremist. So you can't entirely eliminate the possibility of extremist parties having influence uh, within a democratic system. Does PR only really work depending on the number of constituencies? No. uh, Again, this is one of these details that matters greatly. So one of the things you can do is you can treat the whole country uh, as a single constituency, as they do in, in the Netherlands. Alternatively, as they do in Germany, you can have constituencies. You can elect constituency MPs, but you can top up those constituency MPs with a proportional list so that the parties get reflected more or less according uh, their seats in the, in the parliament are more or less in accordance with their votes at large in the country. And of course, uh, forming coalitions can be exceptionally uh, tricky, as witnessed uh, by Belgium is the example most people quote in 2010. Yes. And it, it took them a year to form a government. I don't know if anybody noticed they didn't have a, a government. Uh, which may, may well be unfair criticism, but it still took a year. Yes, well, well so, so that's, that's, certainly one, that's certainly one of the examples. And people often say, well, look, actually, you know, Belgian public administration continued quite successfully during, during that period. And I think it's important to realise that conventions develop in societies which use coalition systems such that they can manage that transition. So if you, I think if you come from a first-past-the-post system, as in the UK, I mean, what is so striking about the UK is that if a prime minister loses an election, literally the day after, the Friday, the removal van is at the back door of number 10, <laughs> taking the furniture out. Now, that's a very fast transition in, in comparative terms. Lots of societies allow some process of transition between the election and the formation of a new government. You've written a book called The Will of the People. I've no idea what the will of the people is, apart from the result at an election. What kind of um, system do you think really represents that concept? So it's very important with my book. Thank you for mentioning my book. It's very, it's very important. It's very important with my book to remember the subtitle, which is It's the Will of the People, a Modern Myth. And one of the things I try and suggest in the book is that too often people think that the will of the people, discovering the will of the people, is like discovering the chemical composition of vinegar. It's a natural <laughs> fact out there that people can somehow, with their apparatus, discern. So I think anybody who knows about electoral systems, anybody who understands democracy, will understand, for example, that the type of electoral system that you use can give you a different result. Uh, The way in which alternatives are framed for the electorate can also give you a very different result. So if you take the referendum, for example, one of the things we now know is that leave was never one option. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been as much division in Parliament as, 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 uh, as there has been. And so... Maybe there should have been three options or four options put to the British people. So the way you phrase the alternatives, the counting rules that you use, the type of constituencies that you envisage, all of those are going to, could potentially give you very different results with the same distribution of public opinion. Uh, what comes closest to the best electoral system in the world, in well, your view? In my view, the, the 
the system that comes closest is one that the population is broadly happy with and that gives broad representation to the currents of opinion that are out there in society and does so in a way which makes government policy responsive. And which country in the world has that system? Well, I think Germany has done remarkably well in the post-war period. I mean, if you'd said, if you'd said in 1945, in 50, 60 years' time, what is going to be one of the most stable democracies in the world, and you'd said Germany, everybody would have looked at you and said, that's impossible. But heavily polarised at the moment. Heavily polarised. But, but, but no, no electoral system can deal with the fact of political conflict. I mean, that's just a fact of life. All right. We will leave it there with that fact of life. Professor, thanks very much for joining us here on The Agenda. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Agenda. If you'd like to hear more from us, you can subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher or Spotify. You can also give us feedback with a review. Remember, you can also find The Agenda on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Just search for CGTN Europe. Until next time, goodbye. The most interesting questions. Are there other living beings beyond Earth? Will man or machine be in charge? Great question. Always have more than one answer. Well, hold on, uh, let me just draw up a list. And always come from more than one person. That's where the credibility lies. The concept of having a machinery which is alive and evolving didn't wait for us. The end of inequality of incomes and wealth around the world, can you imagine how difficult that is at the moment to achieve? Every episode, Stephen Cole, Murray Beveridge, and some of the brightest minds out there shed light on the answers to some of the most intriguing questions. There are two ways of looking at this. Machines can't really discriminate between civilian and military targets. The Answers Project. Maybe we need to just look at this in a bit more detail. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The Answers Project, a new podcast from CGTN Europe.